0: Hello and welcome to a slightly later than usual edition of Tisky Sound. We started at half seven today because we didn't want to do a particularly long show, given how hot it is in the studio. And we know that at eight, we're going to get the announcement of who is next to be kicked out of the Tory leadership race. We'll be giving you live reaction to that. Ash Sarkar has just finished a pretty heated debate with our producer Fox about whether or not she's allowed to have her fan on. You seem fuming, Ash.
1: Yeah, because one, you took your job back and you've relegated me to the sweat box. Two, you're parked next to the air conditioning unit, which the viewers at home won't know, but I know. And three, Fox told me that I'm not allowed to have the fan on. And as you know, I'm a big fan of Fran's fan on. Hey.
0: Hey, very good. In our defense, I'd say this air conditioning unit is not very effective and it's not very close to me either. I can't spend all evening feeling sorry for myself. We will be talking about the heat wave. We'll be talking about the Tory leadership race. So lots to be getting on with this evening. The third Tory leadership debate has been cancelled after Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss pulled out. Allies of the two candidates said they believed the previous two debates had been bad for the Tory brand. That's a plausible analysis, given they really were taking chunks out of each other. Let's look at what happened when Rishi Sunak was asked about his economic record
2: my number one economic priority
0: will be tackling
2: inflation and not making it worse. Because inflation is the enemy that makes everybody poorer. It erodes savings, reduces living standards, and raises mortgage rates. And if we don't get a grip of inflation now, it will cost families more in the long run. So I will deliver tax cuts, but I'll do so responsibly. But I'll also get the economy growing, seizing the opportunities of Brexit to make sure that this is the best country in the world to invest and innovate. And if we can get that right then we can all look forward to a brighter future.
3: Thank you very much indeed. I'll bring in Liz Truss straight away on that. Risha, you have
4: raised taxes to the highest level in 70 years. That is not going to drive economic growth. You raised national insurance, even though people like me opposed it in Cabinet at the time because we could have afforded to fund the NHS through general taxation. The fact is that raising taxes at this moment will choke off economic growth and will prevent us getting the revenue we need to pay off the debt. We that
2: this no, I, I mean, We have to also recognise that we just went through a once-in-a-century pandemic with all the damage that it did to our economy. And I think everyone realises that we were going to have to pay that back. But I'd love to stand here. I'd love to stand here and say, look, I'll cut this tax, that tax, and another tax, and it will all be OK. But you know what? It won't. There's a cost to these things. The cost of higher inflation, higher mortgage rates, eroded savings. And you know what? This something-for-nothing economics isn't conservative, Uh, uh, it's socialism.
4: Under your plans, we are predicted to have a recession because you have raised tax, it is cutting back on growth, it is preventing companies from investing, and it's taking money out of people's pockets. That is no way to get the economy going during a recession.
0: That was Liz Truss going pretty bare-knuckled on Sunak's record and Sunak kicking back by saying tax cuts were socialist. I'm not sure I follow the logic, but again, I'm not the intended audience here. And that tarring of his Tory competitors with a big socialist brush was one of Sunak's recurring themes.
2: I heard, Penny, you on the the TV this morning saying that you were going to scrap one of my rules that the government shouldn't borrow for day-to-day spending. Now, look, it's one thing to borrow for long-term investment, but it's a whole other thing to put the day-to-day bills on the country's credit card. And we know how that ends. It's not just wrong. It's dangerous. And you know what? Even Jeremy Corbyn didn't suggest that we should go that far. Well, too
3: many chancellors have had too many fiscal rules that they then had to ditch because they haven't been able to meet them. I think you have to accept that we are in an unprecedented situation. We are going to have to do more for people to help with the cost of living. Where we really need to concentrate is on growth. And under your tax trajectory, that is going to be much harder. But Penny, you're generally
2: proposing that we, we borrow to fund our day-to-day okay. spending, putting those bills on
0: a credit card. Literally, oh. Jeremy Corbyn didn't think that that was the right okay. approach. I... Even Jeremy Corbyn wouldn't have done that. And at attack a point so clever, he felt he had to say it twice, evidently. Of course, Sunak is right. Corbyn didn't want to fund day-to-day spending with borrowing under his watch Labour plan to fund decent services by taxing the rich, something this lot, of course, will not countenance. But later, Morden went on an attack of her own. It started when Tugendhat was asked about Sunak's record as Chancellor. Look, I'll leave Rich to answer his, his own record, because I'm finding it very difficult to understand who's disowning and who's defending the record of the last few years that they've been in government. It's pretty confusing to me, anyway. I think what we need to do is we need to focus on what we're going to do in the future, though, not in the past. And at the moment, we're getting definite promises of jam tomorrow when a lot of people are looking for bread today.
3: That re- response to that, Rishi Sunak?
2: Well, all I'd say, because we're hearing a lot about promises, we've actually got to the point, we should just reflect on this as a Conservative Party, where even Keir Starmer is attacking leadership candidates for peddling the fantasy economics of unfunded promises. If, if we're not for sound money, what is the point in the Conservative Party? It's the most conservative, most <clears throat> conservative values, and that's what I stand for
3: it's not a choice uh, between sound money and uh, meeting people's needs and helping the economy grow. I think that the discussions that we're having this evening are, must be very peculiar to people sat at home. We okay. have layered and layered onto them incredibly complicated support schemes, which took you, Rishi, a, you, you did it brilliantly. It was you know, two minutes to just run through the whole list. I know from my background, it is incredibly difficult if you can't afford a bus fare, if you don't have a washing machine, if the services you are interacting with are incredibly complicated. Okay. We have to simplify this for people and we have to be more responsive. It's not, it's not your fault, Rishi. There's lots of things that need to be sorted at the Treasury. But uh, the fact that Thank your you. energy package did not take into account uh, people okay. in HMOs okay. is an example of that.
0: HMOs are housing. Um, with multiple occupancies, so where you've got lots of people from different households living in the same flat. And that was Penny Morden attacking her government colleague's schemes for being too complex. And I think trying to subtly paint him as out of touch and privileged. She knows from her background that these things can be complicated. Obviously, though, with tax cuts as her only real promise, Morden doesn't give us much reason to think she'd be any different. So there were plenty of spats. However, the candidates did have one moment of agreement.
3: If he wished to serve, who here would be happy to have Boris Johnson in their cabinet? Please raise your hands. If he wished to serve, would you have Boris Johnson in your cabinet if you were PM? Not a single person would have Boris Johnson I, back I in I would like to say something about him because I, I think, think it is him. only fair. Well, it's... we are going to go back to that <laughs> after the break. So <laughs> hold that thought, Penny Morgan. hold Brexit all of done. your...
0: Well, those were all scenes um, from the second leadership debate hosted by ITV last night. Ash, can you see why Sunak and Truss have decided they don't want a round free? There won't be a Sky News debate tomorrow night.
1: Well, one of the things that was so striking about watching that debate is that unlike every other time over the last 12 years, when the Conservatives have had to reinvent themselves while still clinging onto the levers of power, None of the candidates were able to put a great deal of distance between themselves now and everything that's gone before. So there were all of these reminders of decisions you made while you were in office. Well, hang on, weren't all of you in the cabinet? I was a backbencher. And that is a really dicey situation for the Conservative Party to be in, because the thing that they're good at is pretending that it was some other Conservative Party, who's been in power for the last however many years, who's overseen all of the kinds of fuck-ups that have led to this very deep dissatisfaction with the performance of the government, which has forced a kind of "Eh, eh," crunching of gears, a new prime minister and a change of direction. And I think for the first time in the decade, over a decade that they've been in government, We haven't seen that kind of political metamorphosis. So that for me was the really striking thing. It's not simply that it's blue on blue. We, of course, had a lot of blue and blue during the Brexit campaign, what followed as Theresa May tried to get her deal over the line. You then also had a full leadership race where the candidates got whittled down and two got presented to the membership. But nothing quite like this
0: they've cancelled it because they're saying too much and they're they're worried they're going to give the game away. Like you can almost imagine you know, one of the candidates who hasn't been in the cabinet saying, look, the Tory government have overseen 12 years of stagnation. We need to do something completely different. Then that would obviously, you know, that would make a great Labour attack ad. So yeah, having these five candidates talking about Tory failures is probably not helpful for the party. Um, and the tenor of the debates has not gone down well with Tory MPs. ITV reported this. In messages seen by ITV News, one MP warned, the division smears and personal attacks this weekend have been disgraceful. Nothing will kill our party more than blue on blue. Another wrote, quote, we have an 80 seat majority and have spent time infighting and bringing down the party and are now fighting publicly. It's shameful. I can't believe this is happening. And they go on. One MP told ITV News that it was more sorry than anger in terms of the mood, but admitted it's hard to see how people partner up when they go so hard at each other. So the idea then, it'll be hard when one of them wins to bring other people in their cabinet or to fold behind different candidates when they get eliminated, if they've been attacking them so publicly. I suppose the most obvious question there would be, if if Liz Truss doesn't make it to the final two, could she plausibly back Rishi Sunak, given she sort of attacked him so vociferously? We can also look at what the public made of those debates or in particular that debate on Sunday nights. This is an opinion poll. Who performed best in the debate? And among conservative voters, they favored Rishi Sunak as, to be honest, did the voters for every party. So most people thought Rishi Sunak, or the most people thought Rishi Sunak did well in that debate. Liz Truss and Penny Morden, not bad, but not amazing. But Liz Truss is sort of better than her first debate, where I think she got about 6% saying she had done the best. Tom Tugendhat is fairly popular with Labour voters, but very unpopular with conservative ones. Ash, of course, we will be reporting at eight on who is eliminated tonight. Do you think there'll be any surprises? Who's going to go? And what should we be looking out for?
1: I don't think it's going to be hugely surprising what happens next. Chances are Rishi Sunak remains the front runner, followed by Penny Mordaunt, followed by Liz Trust, then Kemi Badenoch, with Tom Tugendhat being eliminated. What's interesting, looking at the polling that you've just shown, is that, you know, Rishi Sunak is still the strongest candidate overall. But Tom Tugendhat, who is someone who will not be making it past the next round of MP votes, is the person who is next best positioned to win over swing voters. A candidate who isn't very liked by the public at all, that's Liz Truss, someone who performs very badly with Labour voters, very badly with swing voters is you know incredibly popular amongst the tory membership so it will be interesting to see what happens i think in the round of voting after this one are you going to have MPs thinking a little bit more about who the public could get on board with at a general election or is this going to be yet another case of MPs trying to gauge where their membership is at and produce and present a candidate to them which they find amenable I don't think that there'll be necessarily a huge amount of looking to the public and trying to vote on that basis. Maybe it will be a bit more horse trading who can promise you a government job, that kind of thing, but maybe one or two MPs will start thinking, okay, not who does this, you know, cohort of radicalized golf club members, you know, who do they like? They'll be thinking about, okay, swing voters, red wall seats, true blue seats, who's going to be able to hold together this coalition come general election time.
0: As you might be able to tell from the sweat pouring down my forehead, the UK is experiencing an unprecedented heat wave. Wales has registered its hottest day on record, hitting 37.1 degrees Celsius in Hawarden. In Scotland, temperatures hit 31.3 in Aboyne. That's only 1.6 below its record. And Northern Ireland experienced 31.1 in Derelin, only 0.2 below its record, which was recorded last year. But England scored the highest temperatures. The mercury hit 38.1 at Santon Downham in Suffolk, just 0.6 degrees below its record, um, which was measured in 2019. The effect of the heatwave, of course, has been very real. Hospitals have cancelled operations, flights have been grounded, and the heatwave could lead to significant casualties. Indeed, the government's former chief medical advisor, Sir David King, has warned that the two hottest days of the heat wave could result in 10,000 excess deaths. So it's clear why the UK Health Security Agency has issued a red warning for this heat wave, the first time ever such a warning has been made for extreme heat. Yet despite all this, Boris Johnson doesn't seem to fussed. He's missed multiple COBRA meetings to address the record temperatures and instead has spent his time having parties at Chequers and doing this... That was Boris Johnson flying in an RAF typhoon. He's clearly keen to rinse all the taxpayer-funded freebies he can get during his last two months in office. Who would not Although, I mean, if you're Prime Minister, you probably should attend those COBRA meetings. Boris Johnson, for his part, is not getting pressure from his backbenches to take this more seriously. In fact, quite the opposite. Conservative MP John Hayes told The Telegraph, This is not a brave new world, but a cowardly new world. Where we live in a country where we are frightened of the heat. It's not surprising that in snowflake Britain, the snowflakes are melting. Thankfully, most of us are not snowflakes. John Hayes has been given a £50,000 salary by an oil company since 2018. That's according to the parliamentary register, which, you know, could have something to do with why he seems a little bit dismissive of climate change. Right wing journalists are also responding through oppositional Lens. Ahead of the heatwave, this is how Bev Turner of GB News questioned the meteorologist John Hammond. By
5: early next week, you can scrap 20 degrees, it could well be 40 degrees. I think there will be hundreds, if not thousands, of excess deaths early next week. The charts that I can see in front of me are frightening. So we all like nice weather, but this will not be nice weather. This will be potentially lethal weather for a couple of days it'll be brief but it'll be brutal
6: so you know we
5: can oh
4: oh, so this is so john i want us to be happy about the weather and every single i don't know whether something's happened to meteorologists to make you all a little bit fatalistic and and (laughs) harbingers of doom because all of the broadcasts particularly on on the bbc every time i've turned on anyone's talking about the weather they're saying that there's going to be Tons of fatalities. But haven't we always had hot weather, John? I mean, wasn't the 76, the summer of 76, that was as hot as this, wasn't it?
5: Uh, no. Uh, and you know, we are seeing more and more records, more and more frequently and more and more severely. Uh, so, yeah, some people always hop back to the summer of 76, which was a freak event 40 odd years ago, over 40 years ago. Uh, but heat waves are becoming more extreme. This is yet another one which is coming down the tracks towards us. And, you know, I don't think we should be too lighted, lighthearted about the fact that that many are going to die early next week because of the heat. 40 degrees, the sort of temperature that this country, I'm afraid, is just not geared up to cope with.
0: That was incredibly embarrassing television. For a hopefully more productive discussion than you'll find on GB News, I'm joined now by climate scientist Dr Ella Gilbert. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. To kick us off, we keep hearing this this reference to 1976. I know it's before either of us were born, but you know, as, a, as a climate scientist, can you tell me the significance of that? Why are all these well, people who are trying to diminish the significance of this heat wave talking about that year?
6: So 1976 is often kind of trotted out by climate deniers who like to look through rose tinted glasses and remember a time where we just had a nice summer and it was hot and. Uh, nobody minded. So 1976 was undeniably quite a warm summer. I think the maximum temperature was just shy of 36 degrees and it was very long. Um, however, the kind of the main difference between what we're seeing now and 1976 is first of all that 1976, it was mostly just the UK that was really hot. The rest of the world was kind of average temperatures in contrast to 2022, where you look at a map of the difference above what we consider normal for the time of year, and almost no part of the globe is not above average temperatures. So we're seeing heat waves obviously all across Europe with really devastating temperatures, well above 40 degrees in, in many countries, but also all over the world. We're seeing it in the Arctic, the Antarctic, North America, South America, Europe, you name it, it's 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 very widespread this heat. And of course. 40 degrees is warmer than just shy of 36 degrees. So it's a false comparison, I would say, but it's often used to try and distract from the idea or the message that climate change is intensifying extreme events. It's making them hotter, it's making them longer, and it's making them happen more frequently.
0: I hadn't quite realised it. So that was a freak event, which only really applied to the UK. It wasn't about a warmer world in in general. Can we talk about you know how worried climate scientists are about this is this, and i suppose another way of putting that is is this in line with what was expected or is this hotter than what sort of the the mainstream climate models were suggesting we'd be seeing by 2022
6: interestingly a couple of years ago the met office did an exercise where they tried to put together a kind of hypothetical forecast for the 2050s and i think the top uh, temperature on that chart was 40 degrees so If you compare the actual real weather forecast for this, well, tomorrow probably, um, with that hypothetical forecast for the 2050s, it looks remarkably similar. So although this is a really unprecedented event, um, and this is a very freak occurrence in terms of what we've already seen, it does appear like the kind of changes we were predicting for the 2050s are starting to manifest themselves now.
0: I don't know the details of that projection, but were they potentially saying that in 2050 this is going to be the norm? So your standard weather forecast will show that it's 40 degrees every day, and now we're just getting sort of like a taster of it with this sort of one-off, or is, am I getting the wrong end of the stick?
6: I wouldn't say that it would be the norm in 2050, but it would certainly be true that we would have heat waves, whereas a heat wave in our current climate might be a 30-degree heat wave by the 2050s. It might be more likely that we would get 40-degree heat waves We know that by the end of the century, if we keep kind of going on the track that we're going on, whereas at the moment, 40 degree days are so unlikely that they would happen maybe once every 300 years or something like that. By the end of the century, if we keep going as we're going, it could be more like every 15 years. And that's better than the worst case scenario, which would be three to four years. But it all depends essentially on what we do now to curb emissions.
0: Now, as you've already mentioned, it's not just Britain being hit with this extreme heat. And one of the consequences across Europe has been wildfires. Ella, who's being hit hardest by these increasing temperatures?
6: So as with many extreme events, unfortunately, it is the most vulnerable people, the most marginalised and the poorest in our society that are feeling the worst effects of this. So in the UK particularly, it's the very old people with disabilities or existing health conditions or the very young. So anyone who's susceptible to cardiovascular or respiratory complaints, then they're particularly at risk.
0: Internationally as well, in terms of across Europe or this particular heat wave, where where would you least like to live right now?
6: It's always going to be the poorest and most marginalised people who feel the worst effects. It's the people who are least able to cope with and adapt to these sorts of extreme uh, circumstances. If you live in a country where temperatures are currently topping 45 degrees and you don't have access to cool spaces, you know, air conditioning or shade or you're being forced because you, you have to make money to work in the hot sun outdoors all day, then you're going to be much more at risk of having some negative consequences as a result of the heat. So it's both within countries and across the world, it's always going to be the people who are poorest or most marginalised who are feeling the worst effects.
0: Now, I might have to cut you off in in a minute or so because we're just about to get the the latest results from the Tory leadership knockout round. But while we're waiting for that, could you tell me what you make of, of the Tory leadership contest? At the moment, it seems as if they're all going to go in the wrong direction if anything on climate change it seems like they're going to be you know even more relaxed about climate change than boris johnson what's your what's your take on that
6: well i think that climate change has to be at the forefront of any policy agenda at the moment it's an existential crisis it's a threat to all of us and it's not going to go away anytime soon naturally doesn't appear like the candidates are doing what we think we should but the science is very clear that we need to upscale our ambition on climate policy we need to really put our finger out. a little disappointed, although maybe not surprised to see that there are very few commitments or concrete uh, policies about
0: it. Ash, I want to bring you in for some analysis of what we might be about to see in this Tory leadership race. We're looking out for who gets knocked out. What else should people be watching out for?
1: One interesting thing that people might want to look out for is whether Rishi Sunak has encouraged his supporters to lend their votes to a candidate that he would rather face off against when it comes to a membership vote. Now, of course, the way that this works is that you don't have a sort of truly democratic process where all of the candidates get to make their pitch directly to the membership. It gets whittled down through this process of rounds of voting. And so it might be that Rishi Sunak feels more confident facing off against, say, a Kemi Badenoch than a Liz Truss. It might be that he has a preference between Penny Morden and Liz Truss. Um, Tom Tuganhat, like I said, is probably a no-hoper here, so I don't think that he's really going to be in the running. So the thing to look out for isn't really, you know, how much is Rishi Sunak able to add to his lead. The interesting thing to look out for is whether there is any significant movement between those three women, Kemi Badenoch, Liz Truss and Penny Morden, because that would indicate some loaning of votes.
0: And uh, the other thing to look out for, of, of course, is where Suella Braverman's votes go. So she was the, the last candidate to get knocked out. She had 27 votes. Um, so Truss will be hoping to pick up a majority of those. Here we and go. Let's, let's hear the, the results. Third
5: ballot.
2: Uh, 357 votes were cast uh, out of a possible total of 358. I'll again read the name of the candidates and the number of votes cast uh, in alphabetical order. Uh, Badenoch, 58. Mordant, 82. Sunak, 115. Truss, 71. Tugendhat, 31. So Tom Tugendhat is eliminated from the election. The other candidates are able to go forward to a fourth ballot, which will take place tomorrow between 1 and 3 p.m., with the results announced at 4 p.m. Thank you very much. Oh, sorry.
5: 12 till 2 tomorrow. 12
0: till 2. Interesting. So no surprises. Tugend hat has, has gone out. I'd, I don't think anyone um, was betting against that outcome this evening. Sunak, interestingly, has extended his lead by quite a significant amount, which is interesting as the votes being distributed by sort of any traditional understanding of this were from Braverman, who is you know probably the most right-wing candidate. So she had 27 votes and he has upped his vote by 14. So either they've come from some of the other candidates or her supporters swung to him more than we expected. Rishi Sunak on 115, so up 14 on the previous round. Penny Morden on 82, down one. So potentially losing momentum after what I thought were very underwhelming debates. Liz Truss on 71, so plus seven. So that's not many of Suella Braverman's results. She could be disappointed with that. Although, you know, it's it's more disappointing for Penny Morden. So it does look like there's a chance she could overtake her. Cammy Badenock, a very respectable 58. And Tom Tugendhat on 31. So it will be his votes, which are next to be redistributed. I'd expect... A fair few of those to go to Rishi Sunak, to be honest. Ash, looking at those results, who's going to be most happy? Who's going to be most depressed? Have you changed your perspective on who might get through to that final round?
1: No, not hugely. I mean, Rishi Sunak's got something to smile about, which is that he is running, objectively, a very boring campaign. He's not offering a great deal of red meat to the Tory base, and yet he's able to keep stacking up, stacking up the MP ballots, which indicates that the party sees him as sort of the safest bet to take the reins of Prime Minister and also take on the Labour Party. So I think that he would feel quite vindicated that he's not having to, you know, come out and say, I don't know, I'll ban transgender people or, you know, I'll cut the top rate of income tax to zero or whatever, in order to make some headway. So that's going to be really, really good news for him. As you said, There's a bit of momentum coming out of Penny Mordaunt campaign. Maybe it's to do with uninspiring debate performances or looking at the way in which Kemi Badenoch has been able to add to her vote tally. You're seeing MPs who really have quite bizarre political priorities, which aren't hugely in tune with the rest of the country, taking on this attack line of Penny Mordaunt, arch-Brexiteer, being the woke candidate, the idea that, you know, the biggest issue facing the country is whether or not transgender people are allowed to use the toilets which match their gender identity. So that's interesting in terms of those particular attack lines having a degree of cut through uh, amongst the parliamentary Conservative Party. We'll see if the same is the case for the membership. And as for Liz Trust plus seven, that's fairly respectable. What's interesting is that while Penny Morgan seems to be the continuity Johnson candidate in terms of her policy platform, big on Brexit and also making some commitments to public spending, uh, growing the employment market, particularly in Red wall seats, it's Liz Truss who's finding the support of Johnson's cabinet allies swinging behind her. So I think that that's one to look out for. Who is going to be able to present themselves as sufficiently continuity Johnson, which means that the membership and the MPs will go, okay, maybe we've got a chance of holding together this particular electoral coalition, while, of course, not being so much continuity Johnson, that you are kryptonite to the electorate and you mimic his poll ratings. What about you, Michael? What do you make of the results?
0: I'm starting to see a route for Rishi Sunak to win, I think. Because, well, especially if he's up against Morden, I think he'd actually probably prefer to be up against Morden because it, it could be the case that once he is in the final two, if it's against Morden, who's a bit of an outsider, you know, she's not in the current cabinet, then people like Kemi Badenoch will swing behind Rishi Sunak and he'll get a few more sort of right wingers giving him those credentials to the membership. And I do think the more people see of Penny Morden, the more they're going to think she's just completely overrated and a bit of a damn squib. And it was all based on projection, um, the popularity that she seemed to enjoy at the start of this race. So I feel like the momentum is only going to go down for her. That doesn't mean she won't get to the last two. And potentially, if I was Rishi Sunak, I would be helping her into the last two. Liz Truss, I think, could well be in that last two. And I think her versus Sunak would be a more interesting race when it came to the membership, because Liz Truss looks completely implausible as a prime minister. I think if, if the Tories elect her, Labour are going to win the next general election, easy. I actually think that about Penny Mordant as well. I think Sunak is the only tough candidate there for the Labour Party. I don't think any of, the, any of the others seem particularly serious. But yeah, what's going to be, I think, most interesting is tomorrow. You know, Tom Tugendhat was never a particularly influential person in this race. He was always an outsider. He doesn't have much sway within the Conservative Party. He doesn't share the politics of, of many people in that party, or at least, you know, on, on certain Issues. He seems like a, you know, massive Osborneite when it comes to economics, but when it comes to Brexit and stuff, he's more on the liberal end. So the interesting thing is going to be tomorrow when, if, as everyone seems to be predicting, Cami Badenock gets knocked out, who she endorses and where her votes go to. Do her votes go to Liz Truss? Do they go to Rishi Sunak? Does she endorse Liz Truss or does she endorse Rishi Sunak? Um, and that will basically decide. Who gets into the final two? It'll be Rishi Sunak and Penny Morton or Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss. Ash, what should we be looking out for over the next two days? Just to, I suppose, clarify for our audience first. There will be two more knockout rounds, one tomorrow and one on Wednesday. So we will buy our show on Wednesday, know who the final two will be. Um, But between now and then, what should people be keeping their eyes out for?
1: One is always keep an eye on the Telegraph and the Times because that is where conservatives like to brief their dirt to. So if I was running any of these campaigns, I would start letting out, you know, biting little source quotes and things which are, you know, quite gossipy and in the grand scheme of things, unimportant. But, you know, if you're like me and you like a bit of gossip, keep an eye on the Times, keep an eye on the Telegraph. Second thing, fantasy cabinets, because, of course, the... Winning candidate can only tell you so much about the would-be prime minister's policy platform. There is a balance of power which has to be maintained Within the Conservative Party. Of course, when you're looking for support, particularly support from other big hitters within the party, there's some horse trading going on. We saw our first fancy cabinet coming from Jeremy Hunt, who said, I would make Esther McVeigh my deputy. That was, of course, the kind of remainey, wetty Jeremy Hunt trying to bolster some of his credentials by saying, Esther McVeigh, Philip Davies, you know, real headbangers, they're going to be quite close to me in the party. And so I wonder if either liz truss or penny morden feel the need to shore up some of their perceived weaknesses i mean the problem for both of them is that they are kind of lightweights the problem for liz truss as i've said before it looks like she's always just taken a hit off an The problem for penny morden is that she's you know only held a really senior ministerial post for about 10 seconds when she was made defense secretary uh, she's also seen as, you know, Kemi Bazanok has said, as being the woke candidate. I wonder if either one of them will try and shore up their position a bit by saying, this is who I have in my cabinet, this is who I'll make my deputy indeed, this is who I'd make my chancellor. So those are all things to watch out for.
0: For, say, Rishi Sudak to say, I'd give Liz Truss a job because, I mean, if if it is him versus Penny Morton in the final round, he's really going to want her endorsement. But, you know, she said some things about his policies, which will remain Tory <laughs> policy when he's in power, that, You know, every political interview, they'll be like, Liz Truss, I mean, you very openly said that you think all of Rishi Sunak's policies are terrible. Now you're serving in his cabinet. So it's, you know, it seems like if he wins, the only place she can go is the backbenches, which I suppose might be a reason why she would endorse Penny Morden in the second round, even though she doesn't seem to have that much enthusiasm towards her.
1: I was just going to say is that that didn't stop Boris Johnson bringing Michael Gove into his cabinet after they torpedoed each other's leadership chances back in 2016. Sometimes it is a case of keep your friends close and your enemies closer. As Theresa May found out, you know, when Boris Johnson Brexited her cabinet as foreign secretary, that's when he became a really dangerous opponent. So there will be a bit of, I think, you know, tense negotiation. Rishi Sunak, yes, will want uh, Liz Truss's endorsement. Yes, it would be embarrassing for Liz Truss to be doing, you know, the media rounds on a Sunday morning being like, didn't you call this guy a five foot two prick when you were, you know, Vying for the job of Prime Minister against him a couple of months ago. But having Liz Truss on the backbench is also equally dangerous.
0: The terrifying Liz Truss. Who'd want Liz Truss plotting against them? Thanks, Ash, for joining me tonight.
1: Man, thanks for having me. But next time, can you send me a portable air conditioner? I can't work in these conditions.
0: You can turn the fan back on now, don't worry. Before we go, an update on our fundraiser we're currently looking to expand our base of supporters to 10,000 people. So 9,900 of you so far have backed us. Thank you so, so much. When we started this fundraiser, we had 6,000 of you and it's it's amazing to have gotten this far. Um, If you haven't already, please do head to NavarraMedia.com slash support. That's all for tonight. We'll be back on Wednesday at 7pm. You've been watching Tisky Sour on Navarra Media. Good night. This broadcast is brought to you by Navara Media. Go to navaramedia.com support.